When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything! Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com I'm your host, Ryan. Today, we're going to do a comprehensive interview and forensic soul analysis on Mr. Jerry Cooney, retired heavyweight boxer and contender for the world title. This gentleman has got an amazing energy, and there's a lot of great lessons he can teach us. I've known Mr. Cooney since I was a little kid. My father tended to gravitate towards people who had uh, very driven, very successful, had very big hearts, and Mr. Cooney was no exception. In fact, I remember... At night, when we'd say our prayers, my father would always say, okay, you know, pray for grandma and grandpa and your aunts and uncles and whoever Sally Struthers is doing a friggin' infomercial on at 4 o'clock in the morning. And also, don't forget to pray for Jerry Cooney. Well, guess what? We knew firsthand the power of prayers, that our prayers were being answered because during that time, Jerry Cooney knocked a lot of people out. And he had an incredible career. And for every person that he knocked out inside the ring, he's probably helped thousands of people up outside the ring. Real excited to have him on. Without further ado, the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show proudly presents an interview and forensic soul analysis on Mr. Jerry Cooney. Joining us now is Mr. Jerry Cooney. He's the ex-heavyweight contender, professional athlete, a phenomenal golfer, and a person who's done a lot of good to a lot of people. Mr. Cooney's record as a heavyweight contender was 28-3, 24 knockouts, which means that 70%, 77% of the people who came in the ring were knocked out by Mr. Cooney. Mr. Cooney, thank you so much for being with us. It's a great honor, sir. Ryan, great to have you on. Great to be on with you today. I'm looking forward to being with you. And, uh, yeah, life is good. Good. Looking forward to the interview. Thank you. Now, what was the main reason why you decided to become a professional boxer? Well, as a kid, I grew up in a, in a, in a, a rough, tough household. My father was a big drinker, and there was a lot of uh, physical abuse. And, and little did I know, my brother left the house when he was 15 and started boxing. And so when I was 15, a couple of years later, I went to the gym and followed him. And uh, we both started boxing together. We both went into the New York State Golden Glove Championships in 1973. He made it, we both made it to the finals. And I won the middleweight title that year. I had uh, five knockouts in seven fights to win the middleweight championship. And then my brother lost the decision to an Olympic fighter from the Virgin Islands. So he won okay. the silver gloves. Okay. And going back to your father a little bit, you said you grew up in an abusive household and your father was a very big drinker. How did that abuse or his actions actually shape um, your your personality, and how did that impact or shape your ability to perceive boxing? Well, actually, you know, it's it's, it's really crazy, but I was so angry that boxing helped feed me 
because uh, it helped me get, express my anger for what was going on in the household. And then they, and every week I would fight, and they'd put my picture in the paper, so I felt like somebody. But in the long run, growing up in a household like that, it, you, it tends to come back to bite you, and there's a self-sabotage element added in that you don't really know about it coming up. Okay. So how did that actually change you? How did that impact you in the ring and also outside of the ring? Or what were the, how did it come back to you? Well, obviously, you know, the biggest fight, uh, I learned a lot of negative things coming up. There was no good, there was a failure, it was not going to amount to anything. And, and so some part of it permeated inside of my inner soul. And so when the big fight came, when I knocked out Kenny Norton in 54 seconds, I started to, to run a little bit and, and drink and not take care of myself. And, and that came back to haunt me. All right. Now, when you were told that you weren't good enough or that you weren't going to be anything, were you adamant about proving that um, to be wrong to your father, or were you more adamant about proving that to yourself? Well, at the time, I wasn't quite sure. I didn't know. I was just angry and afraid and fearful, and I was just trying to get to the next place alive and safe. All right. Now, you excelled in boxing. Is there any other area where you feel that you could have been successful in or have been successful in? Is there any specific uh, types of talents you think are applicable to multiple fields or professions? Well, I mean, I could have played football. I, could have, I, I did play football a little bit, and I wrestled, so... I was an athlete you know, all the way around, uh, and uh, you know that's really what I was focused on being was becoming an athlete. Do you find it interesting that in the ring you were very feared, and on the outside you're very likable? And do you feel that uh, you on the inside of the ring and the outside of the ring were a, a very good balance? Well, it's two different people. Uh, when the bell rings and you got to fight, it's your life that you're trying to protect. So you have to got get that guy out of there as fast as you can. And outside the ring. You, you can drop your guard most of the time and uh, and enjoy life. Okay. And when you were in the ring, who were the three toughest opponents that you ever faced, and why were they so tough, and why did they personally challenge well, you? Well, one, one was me, uh, and because uh, of my lifestyle. And two was Larry Holmes. It was a great, great fight. And, uh, uh, and that's that basically it. I, mean, I had a great trainer or trainers, and had great guys around me to train with. And I had an opportunity, a great opportunity. I'm sorry I didn't get to reach the high note. And uh, I did well. I did great. I had a great life. I have a great life. And uh, I'm really fortunate. What was the fight that you felt that you were your personal best, where you felt you hit all of your notes, regardless of who it was? Yeah. I guess there's a guy by the name of Animal Lopez, uh, Eddie Animal Lopez, I fought early on in uh, Miami Beach, was a very tough guy. He beat, uh, had a draw with John Tate, and uh, I kind of handled him relatively very easy. And the other guy was Ken Norton. I was in great shape that night. I could have really believed in uh, May 11, 1981, I could have beat anybody that night when I knocked Kenny Norton out in 54 seconds of the first round. It was pretty amazing. I mean, if you watch that fight, which we're going to show a clip of on the site, it's it's amazing. At that moment, you know, that's the guy that beat Ali. So did you feel at that moment that you could beat anyone in the world at that point? Well, you know, I, I, could have be, I believe I could have beat anybody at night. Unfortunately, you know, boxing is a, is a game that was owned mostly by Don King, who signed all the heavyweights. And I wasn't a part of that empire because I, I wanted to be independent. 
So I was kept out. I wasn't fighting, but maybe once a year for the in the top years of my life, which really professional athletes you need to perform three or four times a year. I wasn't getting that opportunity, so you know that, that was this, the downside of the, of the fight game. And so I knocked that door, and then I, I don't fight for 13 months, and I get to fight one of the best heavyweight in boxing history, Larry Holmes. Do you feel that if you had been working with Don King, that uh, the, the qualities or the struggles that you were having would have been exacerbated much higher? Um, well, you know, I uh, Don King was not great for me. He owned you. You know, he said, only in America. Uh, I think that it was inbred in me. I think my father, you know, alcoholism is, is transferred through, uh, you know, your heredity. And I think it was destined to happen for me when the pressures got strong for me. Uh, I wanted to get out of that pain. I didn't want to feel. And so I started to drink and relieve that pain. But in the long run, it hurt me. Did drinking or taking drugs actually do anything for you as far as opening up your perception? Or would you consider all of them to be negative? Did they just uh, numb you? Or did they shut down your ability to perceive reality? Well, you know, it, it made I lost out a lot of time. I, I lost out a lot of good opportunities, good, good moments, uh, good experiences. You know, when you drink, you don't grow up. You, you know, you stay back. You, you know, people move forward. And uh, and I, you know, did not excel to the level where I could have could have been. Okay. And when you got in the ring and you really were successful and you did a tremendous job of just taking out seventy percent, seventy seven percent of your opponents were knockouts. Is there an effective strategy that you utilize then that you utilize in other aspects of your life that you approach? Other uh, projects the same way, the same methodology as you did when you were in the ring? Well, yeah, you know, you have to jump in the water. If I want to swim, I got to jump in. If I want to fight, I got to find the opening. I have to break the guy down. I got to mentally, physically break him down. And that's, you got to do that in all, all areas of your life, whether you're playing golf or you're playing football or whatever you're doing. You have to kind of, it's a psychological, the physical part's a small part. Okay. And on the psychological front, was it more important for you to psych out your opponents to diminish their ability to feel confident about themselves, or is it more important for you to have the confidence and to have the inner rage within and have that um, overpower anything the opponent could be bringing? Well, when you get in the ring to fight, you have two or three fight plans to go by. Then you have your corner, and so you make the uh, adjustments when you're in the ring. The first round, you this works, that doesn't work, this is working pretty good, and you find a way. And then you get back to the corner, you listen to your trainer, and you listen to what he has to say, and you add that into what you're feeling, and that's where you find the openings. You've got to create the openings. You've got to, you know, make the guy miss. You've got to, you know, find his weakness, and you have to, you know, push on that. Are there any losses that you had in the ring or even fights that you won where you just – you're having regrets about or any losses that you, you you wish you had done something different? Well, in my three fights, in my three losses, I, you know, I fought Michael Spinks in 1987. He was a, uh, he beat Larry Holmes uh, once or twice and um, he should have never been in the ring with me. I was, the fight was on, the fight was off. I couldn't get no fights. I just was uh, really not taking care of myself. And then, uh, and, and the same thing with the Larry Holmes fight. I, I wasn't prepared as much as I should have been I may have been a little bit overtrained, and I was not taking care of myself. I was drinking and, uh, and and not taking care of myself. So yeah, I mean those three fights, and then I fought, lost to Foreman, and I think that was just I, I got sober, 
1988 and we fought in, in, uh, in early 90. I don't think I had enough time being sober and growing up and, you know, feeling what was changing inside of me, uh, making amends and getting on with my life when by the time that fight happened. So if I had another six or eight months, it could have been a different story. When you're talking about amends, what were some of the biggest amends that you, you were, were seeking to take on, and what were the toughest ones that you had to focus well, on? Family, friends, uh, uh, women in the past in my life, uh, uh, friendships, uh, mistakes I made to me, to friendships, and you know, uh, to life. And you know, I uh, I was you know I I I was suffering with a disease, alcoholism. So it's nothing personal, but you still need to clean up your part of the street and uh, make amends and then get on with your life. Now, when you looked at alcoholism, did you see alcoholism as just the chemical addiction uh, or the just the dependence on the comfort that alcohol brought to you? Or did you see alcoholism as a means to self-medicate unresolved issues or unprocessed emotions that you were still engaging and still working through? Wow, that's a great question. You know, early on, while I was drinking, I didn't know any of it. But as time went on, and I started making those mistakes over and over again, it's like, you know, you get up, you get dressed, you walk down the street, you fall in the hole, you get up, you bang your leg up, you go back your day, next day you get up, you get dressed, you walk down the street, you fall in the same hole. After a while, you've got to find a different way to travel. And it's in those times when you start to realize, wow, look what I did to myself. Well, well, I can't, and can't blame myself. It was it was passed on to me, and uh, I used it as a tool to get from point A to point B without dying. Right now, you're talking about alcoholism. It seems like you've engaged in uh, some self-destructive behaviors. Do you feel that a lot of that uh, that you were engaging with? Do you feel much more at peace today? And if so, uh, what are some of the reasons why you feel peaceful? Well, because I I worked a program. I I revisited it. I looked at my, the, the defects from my past. I looked at my own defects and I'm constantly trying to change them and not make those same mistakes and to appreciate life more and to f- strive to, for different things, to have better hope and uh, all the positive things that I that were there that I couldn't see them for while I was clouded. Okay. And can I ask you, this is will be a two-part question, It'll be from your perspective and from a, a perspective in general. What is a difference overall perception when you are engaging in drugs, when you're engaging in alcohol, and what is a general perception when you are totally sober? What are, what are the two different mindsets, and how does life generally – how do you see things? Well, you know, you just – you know, when you're using drinking or drugging, you give up. You quit. And when you're sober, you fight. You're fighting for a better way to 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 work it out to to make the plan to to get to that place that you want to go to. Whereas when you're drinking and you, and doing that kind of those things, you just don't care. It's just there's no you're just existing. You're not living. You're just really existing. In those moments, you don't get to really feel them, the highs and the lows. It's just a constant uh, mid to low. All right, and a lot of schools today. Uh, they generally don't want kids to fight. They don't want. Uh, they always want you to take a problem to the principal's office, or they 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 want to have another adult intervene. Do you think that 
in the long term that that's actually counterproductive and almost uh, destructive to kids to not learn the skill set to be able to stand up for themselves and to put their fists up when there's a time to have their fists up? Do you think that overall, collectively speaking, society is kind of uh, raising generations of people to be passive so to be easily run over? Well, listen, there's a lot of bullies when you grow up. My daughter was involved with a bully, and we told her not to bother, not to bother, and then she got to a certain point. I told my daughter, next time this happens, call, grab her arm, and squeeze it. And that was all she had to do. She's never bothered again. And once, you know, a bully knows you can't be bullied, they never bother you again. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a process. It's a, it's a learning curve. We have to go through it. And just some days are good, some days are bad. But, you know, you you fight your way out of it quickly. You, you don't want to stay stuck in the, in the, in the dirt. For too long, because life time is life is passing too quickly. Got it. And you were known for having one of the most powerful punches. I think George Foreman said that you were of all the boxers you had fought, he were he were one of the top three that had the hardest punch. Uh, how did that help you or give you a, a competitive edge against your opponents? And you're always looking to knock out your opponents. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it gives you less wear and tear on your body. If you can go in there and not have to go 15 rounds all the time, if you could knock the guy out one, two, or three, or five rounds, it's a lot less wear and tear. And to be honest with you, they don't pay you any extra to go 15, and there's less wear and tear on my body. So, yes, I'm always looking for the knockout. I'm always looking for the opening to break a rib, to you know, catch them on the button, uh, you know, hit them with that jab in the nose, to, to slow them down, to make them quit. Uh, you know, you can actually see the fight leaving your opponent's face, you know, when you're fighting. Right. And did you ever hit someone so hard that you actually thought you killed them? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah I've, hit, I've hit people before where, you know, uh, you know, I've broken ribs and I've broken orbital bone. I mean, I've broken a lot of things on people uh, as well as my hands. And uh, sometimes it's, it is frightening. When I fought Kenny Norton and knocked Kenny Norton on 54 seconds of the first round, every paper the next day in New York had four punches from death. That's a, a frightening commentary. And unfortunately, the referee allowed the fight to go on probably 20 seconds too long. Yeah, it's It was incredible. I mean, again, we're, we're going to post it on there. You were friends with a gentleman named Richie Barathe, who's considered one of the top martial artists the world. This gentleman yes. was amazing, very powerful. Did he ever teach you any techniques that would amplify the energy or impact of your 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 punches? Did he ever do anything to keep mm. you more balanced in the ring? Did he teach you anything about having a, a more commanding presence? Well, you know, martial arts is different than than boxing. Martial arts is more or less, you know, pushing energy through. Boxing, I had to. I want to take my body with it. Because not only is it more, much more powerful if I put out my body behind the punch, but it also keeps me safe and not keep me out in the open in the danger zone. So it's a little different. He was great for weight training and having a relationship with each part of my muscles. So it performed a little more quickly and together, and the power was stronger. Okay. And when you were training for the fights, is there any ritual that you did that you contribute to be a, a part of a crucial part of the success. Was there any kind of training that you did, or exercises, or, or weights that you did to basically enhance your capability of giving you the competitive edge? Well, I wish that I, I had more advancement. Like today's time, 
there's so much more equipment available to train these guys for endurance. Endurance is the most important thing in the fight game. And uh, I used to run harder every day. I'd run a little faster, a little bit harder, and, and work. I was, a, I was a worker bee, and I wanted to get in the best shape I could. Even with the self-destructive lifestyle that I was living, I still wanted to work harder. And, you know, obviously that's not really great for an athlete. Right. And also, in the midst of your self-destructive parts, I wanted, to, I wanted to come back to it a little earlier. Did you ever get to the point where you were very depressed, where you were actually almost suicidal? What was the actual uh, lowest point of your um, experience in this era? Well, no, I never thought about killing myself. I, I thought that, you know, I, I was confused. I had a lot of great things going on in my life. I had a lot of destructive people around me in two manners that couldn't stand each other. And I felt like I was in the middle all the time. I wish some of those things were different. They flowed a little better. I had a little better knowledge of what I was doing. I could have been way better a fighter and athlete than I was. But that all being said, I also could be dead. And so, uh, you know, I fortunately uh, was ranked number one in the world for a bunch of years. I got to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world against a great fighter who was the top five in the history of the game and had a great fight with him. 13 rounds, and uh, so I got no complaints. I would have loved to win the championship, but maybe when I come back next time. <laughs> okay. And what would you say would be some of the defining qualities of an exceptional boxer or a great fighter? Is it somebody who who can just knock out the other opponent, or is there a lot more to it? Is there a style? Is there is there somebody who can engage the crowd? Is there somebody who um, fights clean? Like, what are some of the defining qualities you would say uh, make up to be a, an exceptional fighter? Well, the defining qualities are uh, when you're a professional athlete and a world-class athlete, there's a certain tunnel vision that you have where you can create the shot. You can create the opening and land that shot. That's a magical time. There's another part when you're going to get backed up in the fight game. You're going to fight somebody, and he's going to back you up. And when he backs you up, when you cut, you have to come back. You've got to break him back down again. You can't allow him to... Uh, you know, he's, he, he hits you with a good shot. You got to give him two back, and you got to you got to always control that flow. You cannot allow the guy to throw too much in there by backing you up. You have to grit your teeth and move forward. Now, are there any lessons that you learned inside the ring that were actually that were very applicable to other situations in your life? Did you ever find there were certain situations similar to the ring that you saw in your life, and you were able to kind of gain the upper hand because of your in-ring experience? Well, listen, the reason why boxing is such a, a popular uh, sporting event is because people have the fight of life. And they got to work two jobs, and they got to work three jobs, and they have trouble making ends meet. And fighters have the same thing. This, this is a perfect, perfect analogy for fighting, is that they can relate to the fighter. You're going to get knocked down. You've got to get up. You've got to fight back and get a cut. You know, you're going to break a rib. You've got to keep fighting. And that's the life, the struggle of life. And that's why it's the greatest thing in the world. There's such a, uh, you know, commonality there that uh, we relate to. We're all fighting to get to another better place. And who were the three or four boxers that you, you resonated with the most or the boxers that you looked up to the most? Well, I mean, I loved Ali, uh, to be honest with you. I loved uh, uh, Jake LaMotta, uh I loved the Carmen Basilio, Willie Pep, um, Gene Fulmer. 
uh, Bob Forster. I mean, there's so many great guys. Well, what do they have? What did what did you admire about them, and what uh, qualities did you seek to emulate in your own they had, style? They had, they had to fight them. There was no quit. There was no quit. You, when the bell rings, you got to fight. I tell people, you know, you got to fight. You got to fight tired. If you're going to be tired, just, you still got to fight. That's what those guys gave us. You know, right. Jake Lamada fought Ray Robinson twice in three weeks. That's crazy. I can imagine. So, and are you? Would you consider yourself a spiritual person? Do you follow any kind of organized oh, very religion? Very much. Or? Very much. I'm a, I'm a, a firm believer in, in, in God, and uh, I love to commune with Him every day. Okay. And do you feel that um, having that strong faith has allowed you to do other great things? It allowed you to, I don't know, kind of push your life in a different direction or yeah, greater the direction? More I, the more I grow, the more I understand, the more I surrender, the more is given to me and the more direction I get and the more hope and, and, and joy and, uh, you know, being helpful to somebody else I can be. Okay. And who would you say would be some of your mentors or people that had the, the greatest positive impact in your life and really kind of helped you to see life in a, in a really good perspective? And would you also, this would include teachers as well, uh, teachers that you really respected. Well, I'm going to tell you one person. is my wife. I have a great wife, and she keeps me, you know, the perspective kind of clean and, and, and you know, uh, keeps me moving forward and it makes me think, uh, not react and I had a great teacher named uh, Ralph uh, Schneider, who wasn't even my teacher, but he was a big, he was a great wrestler, and uh, from back in, uh, you know, where I grew up, he was a school teacher in my school, and he had a little a corner, a Jerry Cooney corner in his room, and he would keep up my articles and stuff, and he was a really, a guy that made me want to fight harder. Uh, Those kinds of great. people. That's right, and. As far as your children go, what are some of the things that your children have taught you about yourself, about you as a person? Well, you know, I have uh, two great kids. They're very strong-willed. They're different, different kids. And my one kid is very, you know, is strong in, in, in school and athletics. And my other daughter is a very good athlete. and She's an artsy kind of a person. And you know, you have to give them, leave them their gifts. We can't mold them into what we want them to be. We got to help make them grow in who they can be. And uh, it's uh, great to see they have the confidence that we're able to give them the confidence and uh, to be able to attain those qualities and to grow in the way they want to grow. Excellent. I mean, and Jerry, you've done a lot of work outside the ring that has really helped a lot of boxers, boxers who basically. They gave their hearts, and they're, they're struggling. Why, in your experience, opinion, have so many boxers who were considered once great at the time fallen in such hard times? Is it because they don't manage their finances properly? They have other people telling them the wrong information. Why do a lot of boxers, you know, unfortunately, not uh, invest properly or not uh, take care of themselves? Well, because you know, obviously, you know, the managers and the promoters take care of these guys when they're coming up because they want them to perform for them. And they don't want them to save their money. So if they don't save their money, then they have to keep fighting. And unfortunately, fighters are mostly poor. And when they come up, they think it's never going to end. And they keep spending, they keep spending. And then the day comes when, you know, everybody wants to be the champion. But if you're not the champion and you, and you throw away all that money, when you're 30, 35, 
you got to become a sparring partner now. And unfortunately, they don't develop and continue their education, so they have no, you know, hope for any, you know, uh, valuable uh, employment after the, after the fight game. Uh, it's it's awful. And in addition to working with boxers, you do a lot of work with youth, and you really do talk to kids and help them out. What are some of the lessons that you emphasize when you're speaking, you're doing your motivational talks? I love those kids because I was one of those kids and I I felt like I was left alone and nobody cared about me and I wanted to let them know that they're important and they have they have gifts and they have to explore them and 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 become all they can be and and through boxing I can help them get rid of their, their anger and teach them if they can learn to box they can do anything and listen to them and try and help them and you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to come home and have a snack and a drink and a piece of candy. I, you know, I, I try and address that to these kids and let them know that they're important and that they have a lot of things to offer and they have to fight for it. And that from the age 16 to 21, it's going to fly by in a minute because when I was 18 and the old guy in the gym told me, hey, Cooney, watch out. You're pretty good. Watch out. Please. Don't stay out late. And he flipped his thumb and said, it's going to go just like that. And I thought, so what are you out of your mind? Well, that was 49 years ago. And guess what? He was right. Wow. Do you feel that because of your your tougher, tough upbringing, that that made you really strong as a person and that without that tough upbringing, without all that rage, you would not have been as successful in the ring? Um, I think maybe, but you can't, when you're in the ring, you can't get mad. You have to get even. Okay. But, you know, it directed me in that, to that, to that arena but like I said, there was this self-sabotage when I was right there, ready for the prize. It's like the kids. I get these kids, and I train them, and I get them going and fix them up, and they look great. And right before they're ready to shine, they take a wrench, and they throw it in the engine. That's built in to a lot of these kids because they feel worthless. We have to learn to get away from that and, and, and are you recognize still- that. Right. Are you still discovering that within yourself? Are you still on that path oh, yeah. of still resolving that? I am, and I, partly being with the kids is is an education to me as well. And I get to experience it and to heal it and to make it better. Right. Um, you know, you're doing a lot more. You I mean you're you're not only um, doing phenomenal on the golf course. You're you know great uh, family guy, and you're also host of your own national radio show on Sirius XM. Can you please talk about your show and what kind of people you're impacting? And I'll tell some about that show. Well, we have a great show on Monday and Friday nights on uh, Rush Channel 93 on Sirius XM. And we are basically a boxing show, but we bring celebrities, actors, doctors, people in, uh, involved in the fight game, like the fight game. And we, we, we promote the game. We, we let people know what's going on. We break down the fights. We... We 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 don't know who we think is going to win, and and we uh, it's completely a great picture, and we involve MMA in it. We involve uh, other characters of, of the fight game. Uh, we get to the gym. We we do a lot of different things because fighting is great. It's been here from day one. It's going to always be here. We have to find some ways to help the fight game out so that guys like Muhammad Ali don't suffer for 30 years with Parkinson's. You know, I don't know. I've been thinking, making a lot of thoughts. I, I've been uh, wearing 24-ounce gloves in the gym. It's like two pillows. I think that's a great 
they have years of travel. I want to I want to bring that to the commission that they have to monitor the gyms and get bigger gloves, not 16 ounce but 24 ounce gloves, where they can't hurt these guys' brains and they can train better and get in better shape and put on a better fight. There's a lot of things need to change in boxing still, and uh, we have to strive for that. Do you feel right now the way boxing is that without a dominant champion, let's say, for example, like a Mike Tyson who's knocking people out left and right, is that actually hurting the sport in its way, shape, or form? Or do you feel that the way of boxing is right now, that it's healthy, that there's really no time or telling when the next big champion is going to emerge and dominate? Well, you know, it's like it's like a, a got cycles boxing. It's in cycles, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's big, sometimes it's low. We've kind of messed up boxing for a while because they put on so many fights. Everybody was a champion. Now they're starting to come back, and they have some really deep talent in a lot of the divisions. Even the heavyweight division is coming. You got Anthony Joshua, who's the gold medal winner in Europe. He's just won a championship. We have Deontay Wilder. We have Tyson Fury as heavyweight. We have a great light heavyweight division, a middleweight division. So it's 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 coming back again strong. And I think little by little, uh, the boxing fans are, are pulling back away from MMA and they're starting to look at boxing again and, and seeing the richness of the game and the talent. And I think we're going to be fine. Excellent. And just want to come back, and uh, we, only have, cause we only have a few minutes left. You have had a lot of personal trials and tribulations, yet you have a phenomenal sense of humor. Where does that humor come from? What drives you to just naturally just be funny? Well, you know, I grew up in a household where you couldn't express yourself, and so I hated silence. And humor was a way for me to break the ice, to uh, make people laugh, to loosen them up. And and I'm, and I love that. Uh, I, I just, uh, I like humor. I like to make people laugh. I want them to walk away feeling happy and uh, get the opportunity to do that every day. Jerry, last question. Mr. Green, last question. What? How do you want people to remember you? How do you want people to remember you and your legacy? I, you know, I was a fighter. I, I, I fight my weight, everything I got. Nothing was given to me. I, I started fighting uh, professionally. I was making $200 a week. And if I didn't, you know, win, I didn't have to pay the money back. And then I fought uh, Dino Dennis in the garden. In my first 10 rounds, I knocked him out in three rounds. And then I worked up to my way up the ranks. I got up to uh, Jimmy Young, my first national television. I knocked him out in four rounds in Atlantic City and so on and so forth. But when I walked up the hill, there's no, no easy case, right? Okay, you know, I had to work. And I, I appreciate that. And a lot of people today, they think they want the million-dollar payday but they don't want to put the work in. I had no time for that. I would rather go out and play golf, and I appreciate your telling me what a great golfer I am. I, was, I could be good, but, you know, to keep that score down to, you know, two, three, or four handicap, you've got to really uh, dedicate your life to it, and I just got, ain't got the time for it. But, listen, I've been very blessed. I have a great family, great friends. Um, I do a lot of great things, uh, meet a lot of great people, and I, I love having an effect on people's lives for the better. And yeah, Mr. Jerry Cooney, I want to thank you so, so much for being with us today. To learn more about Mr. Cooney, please go to his website. One of the websites at ycs.org. We're also going to post a link on our site directly to his Sirius XM show. 
Mr. Cooney, thank you for being with us today. Great to be with you uh, all the time. It was a great, great interview. Joining us now is the queen of the universe, internationally respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and get a reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Mr. Jerry Cooney? Mr. Jerry Cooney, the beautiful, beautiful man, beautiful soul. And as I was just mentioned earlier, what I found fascinating is that he was known as the left-handed, left punch, strongest punches. George Foreman said that he had that. And if you think about the energy body, in his right side, he was weaker in the right side, and that he didn't use his right side a lot. And it instantly brought to me to the his father's abuse. And so a lot of times in our energy body, we store the right side is our male and male connections, our connection to our male self, and the left side is a connection to the feminine self, but also the past. And so what I saw is that his powerful punch in the uh, – on his left side of his body allowed him to get out of this pattern, this holding pattern that he could have got into. He had his issues with alcohol and drugs, as he says, and he, and he talks about it openly. But that left hook and that energetic left hook looked like it got him through all these, um, imagine, uh, like a plastic bag that was wrapped around him with a bunch of tubes. And he fought for a life, for his life, literally, to get out of that holding pattern that could have very well given him the potential of stepping into being the father and be the alcohol and abuser. I didn't see him being the abuser on other people, but I saw him do an internal abuse to himself. So it's so interesting to me that our body shows how our energy field is. You know, that just fascinated me. But he's a wonderful man. He's connected to the, his heart. And I also love that he said that, as far as not going under um, Dom King, and he had to promote himself. So that was another fight for his life to stand up for himself, be his own advocate. And even though it didn't allow him to do fights, and if he, well, he said he did one fight a year, and he didn't get the promotion, he didn't want to sell his soul to Dom King and have them own him. Nobody could own him. So he comes in here as the biggest advocate. It doesn't matter what your circumstances that you're born in, born underneath. You could be in um, very restrictive energy and an abusive alcoholic, really, especially as a man, can really have you follow the patterns that we hear about all the time or what he did. Stepped out of it, and even though he went down the road and did some alcoholism, he was able to turn his whole life around. Now he's a promoter for activists for hands for not punching, you know, and um, and teaching about uh, education with domestic violence and also being the advocate for retired fighters. How many times do people use and abuse in sports and they're thrown away as soon as they have an injury or whatever? So I think he's a beautiful advocate soul. That's awesome. And are there any spirits that are around him? Are there any spirits, archangels, guides that are currently working with him? And if so, who are those beings? I saw an angel guide that looked very much like Hercules, and that Hercules energy is connected to a lot of people that have, um, they came into this life incarnation to work with their body physically, right? And there's a, a Hercules, literal um, archetypal energy pattern. So that guide, you could even say is an aspect of his higher self and the stronger connection. I know he prays a lot, and I know he believes in a higher power because his connection to that aspect of him is very, very strong. So he calls upon, again, that Herculean energy 
to be able to help him get out of any kind of challenges, but he also allows him to teach other people to go beyond restriction. So you'd say he's at his Hercules head of that. And now, has uh, Mr. Cooney's success in moving towards the light or doing a lot of great things and helping a lot of people, has that actually had a positive impact on his father who is in the um, spiritual realm? Has it actually influenced his father's evolution Absolutely. and actually helped his father reach heart? Absolutely. How's, how's that? What that does, Ryan, as he cuts through, it's like imagine the patty cake game. So when we're in these abusive relationships, consciously or unconsciously, we're feeding energy to that holding pattern, alcoholism abuse. So he fought his way out of it. He rotated out of it, and so one hand of the patty cake game is gone. And so then it allows his father to say, wait a minute. And um, his father has done work. I, I did see his father standing with his head down beside him, and that means reflective, reflective posture. He said he comes in with shackles, so that means to me when he learned over in his life review, he had to go through um, every single experience that he did on everybody else, and he didn't see it as a movie. He saw that. He felt it physically, mentally, emotionally. That's somebody's own hell that they go through. And he just, and he stayed in there for a while. He just shows me shackles. And until he was ready to take total accountability and responsibility for his actions, then it allowed him to be free. Because his son was free, is free, it leaves a path. It's like a magnetic path that is in front of the father that the father could choose to take um, at any time. And he did do it. And I also noticed that. He stands back in Jerry's energy field and lets like, his guides around him, which shows me that he's shown respect for his son. Okay, and we've talked in the past about um, generational patterns, mm -hmm. generational energy patterns, and the pain and suffering that Jerry felt at the hands of his father. Mm -hmm. Was that pain and suffering um, coming from the father, or was that pain and suffering coming and abuse coming from like the collective soul group for which Jerry incarnated upon that was exercised through the father. And uh, there's a second part to that question. If that um collective pain and pattern was that has that in any way, shape or form been diminished or resolved through Jerry's actions? Okay. I love that question. Two Thank parts. You. First of all, I totally believe and see we sign up into the karmic pattern and we know the parents that in the situation we're going to sign on to, right? So that's part of Jerry's own evolutionary growth, his choice to be with an abusive father. He transmutes the, trans, um, the, uh, the abuse that sets him free. As it's setting him free, it also sets a pathway for all those that have been abused and also abusers to also be free. So it does clear a collective grid, like a doorway was created because Jerry opened that door and that's going to allow other people other, not only men, but you could have bullying females that are abusing power, their abusive energy, and that they can um, uh, step out of that pat holding pattern. So he cleared his own grids, he cleared generational patterns, and he also goes out to the the grids of the of humanity, right? Yep. And is there anything that uh, Mr. Cooney could be working on right now or any challenges that you see um, for, the, for the remainder of his life that he should be focused on and working on resolving? I see him holding his heart. Just as you were asking that question, I just watched his energy body respond before you even said it. And it looked like at first he was holding like this little girl, almost looked like a, probably a potential granddaughter he's going to have. And he's cuddling it and nurturing it. So I know right now he's reaching a time, especially this spring, of really nurturing the 
the aspect of him, the little Jerry, allowing him to play, have fun, connect with kids, connect to the, the divine child is what I say. And, and also do writing. He would be very good with blogs and writing, and it doesn't have to be just writing from his heart. It doesn't have to be long. It could be very short. That, that would be very good for him right now. You know, I think you brought up an amazing point or something that just kind of hit me. Do you think that by him being more childlike in one way, shape, or form, it's going to restore and heal the childhood that he didn't have, the innocence that he could not have Absolutely. and with this dark life? Okay. Absolutely. That so connecting to that divine, I call it the child with us, brings okay. that energy and it sets him free. And it does. it's like keys that he hands out to his family and anybody else that he's connected to. Oh, you know, I just and this is a, a I guess an extra question, bonus question. Jerry hit a lot of, I mean, he punched a lot of people and knocked a lot of people out. And I'm curious, did any one of those people that he knocked out, did any of those people actually ever like harm him in a previous lifetime? Yeah. And that this whole boxing career uh-huh. was there to kind of settle a series of karmic debt for those people, kind of take them all down in one lifetime? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> I'm not seeing anybody in the past haunting him. The biggest thing that you could say, and I'm saying this with air quotes, the haunting would be his own fight. It's like a think of the um, fist going over all boxers, right? And so they come in here with this choice to fight and take it down to the physical or be in a mental battle, emotional battle. So when those decide to take it down to the physical, it all is in how they use it, Ryan. So and with Jerry's energy pattern, I don't see him as using it as an abusive power and being like the bully guy. His nickname was even Gentleman Jerry, right? And so yeah. he is going through the, you could say, the collective energy of all boxers and giving them a choice to say that they can be a boxer and give a knockout and do amazing, um, what, 28 knockouts or 24? Yeah, it's yeah, incredible. Oh, so do you just have, that's yeah, incredible. crazy. Um, and especially because he didn't get to fight a lot, you know. Um, but those, those that choose to go in there and get a power fix from it, those would be the ones that could have the potential of facing their own boxing glove and keep on hitting themselves in the face because they, mm-hmm. there's a misuse of power there. And that, of Excellent. course, could be a, a part of power uh, power hunger. It's misuse of power. Miss Carrie O'Connor, thank you so much for your incredible analysis. Loved it. I thought you, there's so much there, and I want to thank you. And to learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and to get reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always my pleasure. Joining us now is the Angel Reader, globally respected psychic medium, Miss Laura Lynn. You can learn more about Miss Laura Lynn and get a reading done with Miss Laura Lynn by going to her website at angelreader.net. Miss Lynn, what can you tell us about the past lives of Mr. Jerry Cooney? Well, Jerry is very interesting. Usually what I find in the spirit perspective when I'm questing spirit is that people have several lifetimes that are very different from each other. They have different experiences, and there's reasons for that. You know, we do, you know, part of the whole purpose of life is to experience life in its wholeness. But sometimes there are people who learn their skills so well that it's deeply ingrained into into their essence of their being, and they end up using the skill over and over. 
And I feel that's what's happened here with Jerry. I felt a huge, huge amount of gladiator energy from him when I was questing, when I was in meditation. And I saw that he was in the championship role of, of being a gladiator, meaning that he was not one of the slaves, but rather a, a star performer. Sure. What era of history were you sensing or feeling this from? Oh, my goodness. I don't know when gladiators were around. <laughs> I just saw him in an arena, and it was pretty incredible. Uh, I was seeing the, the cheers and the huge smile. He really was a showman. He enjoyed the being a celebrity. He enjoyed the the attention that he gathered from this. And he seemed to be rather celebrated in the in the community. I feel like he was also a very good man. Like he brought what he could through the attention and did some really good things for the community. I now, know. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I didn't interrupt you. Okay. And then I was also picking up a little um, sprig of energy from being a samurai, Japanese, Japanese samurai. The costume was quite vivid. Uh, he had this red flashing, I don't know what, you, regala, regalia that was pretty, um, well, very impressive. And I feel like he was well known for his Oh, what he attributed there, being a samurai. However, I do believe that he lost his life during a, I don't know what you would call it, an encounter, a fight. Maybe he, he fought, maybe that was the purpose, was to fight to his death. But And uh, so I don't know that he lived a terribly long life, maybe uh, young or, oh gosh, mid, mid-20s. And then... Uh, and then we come. Well, what, about, what did he come in here for this life? What, what did he come in to learn in his lifetime? Like his well, lessons. That... Yes, I I feel like what happened here was that because he garnered this skill set so well, that he came into this life and had to have a memory of it. And I feel like what brought his memory back was fury. I feel like there was something that happened in his young days that just really triggered the um the fury back where he would be like blood boiling angry and that tension brought in the natural skill that he had through cellular memory and was able to learn to box in a natural way and of course through practice and training but the good thing that came from this is that he in this day, in this era, he was able to use this for the good where he could uh, maybe focus on attributing uh, funds that he could uh, gain through uh, um, maybe working with homeless or working, you know, I, 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 he does so much for, for children's needs and for different fundraisers. So he's able to utilize his skills and, do, and work it for the greater good. And he was excited about that in this journey, in this lifetime. Do you ever see, of all of Jerry's lifetimes, what, is there any lifetime that stands out in your mind as him having a, um, like a really awful death? Is there any deaths that he's had that would contribute to any fears that he has in uh, this lifetime? 
you know what? I didn't capture that in, in my meditation. And I have to say that I only listened to a couple minutes of the tape. I heard his voice, and then I went into the meditation. So I don't know his story per se, but um, but I do feel that that samurai lifetime was more about honor so that what I don't know that that would bring any fear uh and that was the only death that I actually saw in the meditation Miss Laura Lynn the angel reader I want to thank you for your great analysis of Mr. Jerry Cooney to learn more about Miss Laura Lynn and to get a reading and soul analysis done with Miss Laura Lynn please go to our website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Miss Lynn. Thank you, Ryan. Joining us now is the Astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constance Dallas. You can learn more about Miss Constance Dallas and get your chart done with Miss Constance Dallas by going to her website at constancedallas.com. Miss Dallas, what did you observe when you did analysis on Mr. Jerry Cooney? Um, an interesting uh, chart, certainly, and in light of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali's passing, I was looking at, at signatories, so to speak, about boxing and boxers, which is, I have never had a boxer in my practice, so it was a, a unique experience. Um, so Mr. Cooney is a Virgo, uh, an earth sign, and also has Jupiter in Virgo, an Earth sign, and uh, Mercury. So the Earth presence in his chart is the strongest element. Um, that Well, I'll compare it with uh, Muhammad Ali uh, towards the end. But what's interesting about Virgo is that it's a very uh, service-oriented sign. So I know that you know he was in the ring and in center stage, but um, perhaps now that he is uh, out of the ring, uh, he is serving or spreading the word about boxing and contributing a great deal to the sport in that way. Um, I wouldn't say that Virgo is automatically a, a big bruiser sign. However, uh, we see that his moon sign is Aries. Aries the pugilist, Aries Mars, Aries the warrior. And in his chart, these two um, signs, Aries and Virgo, are in an irritating uh, um, pattern. Irritating perhaps to him because he feels a goad to express himself very, very, uh, let's say, dynamically and, um, uh, and physically and a lot of fire energy to bear uh, to to blow off at the same time virgo it kind of mentally um crafts everything that the uh that the person does and wants to make it perfect so uh he had a lot to balance in his own uh in his own life um he also had mars which is the signature planet for anybody involved in, in fighting or war or anything where there's so much physical contact in the very kind of languid and slow-going sign of Pisces. So uh, I don't know if he was compared in terms of balletic and, and movement flow to Muhammad Ali, but he certainly had that kind of 
ease with um, uh, he, he was a very graceful uh, kind of fighter, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was okay. Good. And actually, um, what I wanted to know is based on his chart right now, do you see anything that would indicate that he was a fighter in a previous lifetime, or is this something that's new for his evolution? Uh, no, I would say that he, I don't know if he was a fighter like a competitor, but he certainly was a warrior. And maybe even a warrior of high station, you know, not just like a rank-and-file soldier, but uh, someone who who had um, both uh, leadership and uh, hero, you know, brute force capabilities. What do you find that would indicate some of the lessons he came in in this lifetime to Well, you focus know, something on? that's it just struck me is that he has a grand water trine. Water is the um, signature of um, the emotions and sensitivities. And um, as I said, I haven't studied a lot of boxers' charts, but if I were a boxer and had a lot of water in my chart, I I would be very uh, uh, hesitant to, to really, you know, pummel somebody. So I think he had a lot or has a lot of feelings that are in a different direction than his sport or his profession and sometimes not as easy for him to um express as as the as the the the, the Martian not like you know man from Mars but the Mars uh, aggression assertion uh elements. So that's kind of interesting to me. Big heart, really big heart. Sense that right away, just from the chart. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's awesome. And as far as professions go, is there other areas or fields that he can apply the same same skill set of the same energy pattern so as successfully in boxing? Is there another field that he can apply that to, or other fields? He can other apply than to? boxing, and other than being a coach, I mean, because I don't know if he if he ever did that. Oh, he actually he he does. He speaks to a lot of kids and uh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. motivational well, talk. Well, see, that's the serving part of his chart, and um, he would be very uh, very good in in kind of community efforts. Um, he also has a great deal of knowledge about health, body, nutrition, um, and what you need to do physically to keep yourself in shape. To, to endure as an athlete, whether it's boxing or soccer or, or anything. And he also has an ability to communicate and connect with people on a real kind of heart-to-heart level uh, that, um, well, now, Muhammad Ali's chart was overwhelmingly earth, and his other element was air. So we have the uh, the boxer who... Uh, had the force, definitely, the power, earth, and then this air component, which was his poetry, his words, his trash talk, whatever, you know, and and that seems to me uh, to be a little bit unusual. And I don't think Jerry Cooney uh, had that facility with words, but he certainly was a communicator of the good way to do anything. So anything he decided to do, he was going to do it the good way. Miss Constance Stellis, the astrophenom, I want to thank you for that wonderful and in-depth analysis of Mr. Jerry Cooney. 
to learn more about Ms. Constance Ellis and to have your chart done with Ms. Constance Ellis, please go to our website at ConstanceTellis.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Ellis. My pleasure. I should add that the website has just been redone, and it's rather spectacular if I do say so myself. So oh. anybody who goes there will enjoy taking a look at it. Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, globally respected empath and psychic media, Miss Lisa Kaza. You can learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza and get a reading done with Miss Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. All right, Miss Kaza, what do you feel when you read into the energy of Mr. Jerry Cooney? Interestingly, um, Mr. Cooney, um, his energy right away, and this is before I uh, realized I, did, I didn't even have a chance to listen to his interview, so I'm going off, off the fly with this one. But right away, his energy hit me as being familiar. And what I meant by familiar is, just like myself, very deep, deeply ingrained Irish roots. Okay. And I was taken back now, realized, uh, like, I was shown past lives, but they were all flashes. Now, the first thing I heard was, and it was an actual phrase, freedom fighter. And then I heard always being a fighter. And then I was shown, like, the flashes of each different past life. Now, there's two past lives here I wrote down very quickly. Like I said, they're just flashes that were lived in Ireland. Um, Both times during which he was um, involved in war against England, fighting for freedom, fighting to you know, regain the, their country as their own. Um, the first, uh, let's see here, okay, the, so the first past life I was shown, uh, again, like I said, to gain the country back, and I heard the War of Independence. And so I believe if my if history serves me correctly about uh, about my Irish roots, I believe that was 1919 and 1920, around there. Uh, that was the first past life that I saw. The second one, this goes back a couple centuries. Um, it's called the Desmond Rebellion. I heard, and that there, I don't know. I didn't even know that that even existed. I actually, when I heard that, this is how um, skeptical I am. Everyone should know me by now. I'm quite the skeptic, even though I'm a psychic. I went on Google, and poof, here it comes up, and I'm going, oh my god, I must be psychic. <laughs> 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 Um, so so that was the second one and uh the second past life i was shown and this is going back all the way um 1579 this now this part i didn't get psychically i actually when i saw the desmond rebellion when i googled it the the date came up as 1579 but um uh, during that time that war there he was specifically involved in and um, they were trying to depose Queen Elizabeth I and tr- trying to restore uh, a Catholic monarch because as many as I'm sure you know uh, Queen Elizabeth I was a Protestant queen so um, within those 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 two wars unfortunately Mr. Cooney did die he was killed in action in both of them Okay, I now, want to pause you there for just one second. Okay. Was he killed by anyone in those two lifetimes that he actually fought in the ring in this lifetime? Interesting question. Thank you. Ah, uh, 
I wasn't expecting it either, so you just kind of knocked me for a loop. I've got to keep you on the edge, Scott. Gotta, gotta yeah. Keep you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, uh, let's see here. Um, did he get up? Did he, like, see, I don't know boxing at all, so I, but I do know the name of George Foreman. So did he go up against George Foreman at any point in time? Yes, that was the last professional fight he had. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm wondering, because that, that's the name that came to me. Um, I'm going to have to go with that. Did George Foreman kill them in the last life? Uh, I, I'm saying, oh, there is a connection there somewhere. There is a connection there, because otherwise I wouldn't have come up with that as, a, as an answer. Um, okay, so, th- so there's no definitive, you can't really sense, but you sense that Foreman's energy or presence was yeah. for Yeah, for sure, yeah, definitely. Um, so after I was shown those two wars, the next thing I heard was, you know, that I think I said this a few minutes ago, he's always been a fighter. So as soon as I heard that, then I got the flash of the third past life, and this zoomed me all the way back. I felt like being, I was in Star Trek for a minute, being teleported. But he was a Roman gladiator. And the the time frame that I have for that is that I didn't get a year, but what I heard was a phrase, and it was when the Colosseum was new. So... As a result of all of these um, past lives, like I, I, I know that there's a lot more that he has been a fighter in, but I, I personally wasn't shown. Maybe one of the girls has seen it. Maybe Carrie or Laura may see it. Um, but as a result of all that, deeply ingrained within him, um, like he's got this fiery rage within him. He's all about the attack, and the thing is, it's because he was always forced within each of his past lives, he was put in the position to have to fight, to defend, to fight for the freedom and the honor. And but in doing so, like he, he, it's almost like um, you know, you forget you're doing something, you're so intent on doing something that you're forgetting to to watch your own back, kind of thing. You're just all about the fight and to get things done. And so that is kind of, I believe, um, followed him into this lifetime in terms of his beliefs. So he's, I remember at one point, I think it was uh, Constance, when she did a, a soul analysis on myself, she called me the steamroller of the crew. Well, uh, Mr. Cooney is quite the steamroller himself. So he tends to get things done. He hones in and he gets done with that fiery rage. You know I want to know this is that apparently um from what you described he he's had he has this incredible potential to be a fighter or at least this potential gets fulfilled when there is an external stimuli or something that triggers it exactly what would happen what kind of life would he have in any future life incarnation if this fire does not get stoked what kind of life is he going to lead is he going to feel unfulfilled is he going to feel um, that this potential within him is not being uh, fulfilled? Is he going to have a, an evolution that's not going to be complete? Or is his uh, trajectory throughout various lifetimes that of which an individual gets provoked, fulfills their potential through rage and through fighting? Is it always meant to be that way for him? No, no. Because the, as you were talking, what I, what I was being told is that He's right now in his life. Right now, he's starting to show it now. I'm, you know, you know him personally, and uh, you know personally in the family. You may already notice it yourself on a personal level, where he is already starting to 
uh, for a lack of a better term, calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, he, so he's, he's gone through enough of that. His spirit's had enough of that. And so now it's time to go on to the other end of the spectrum. The, the, it's just something, again, like I said, I don't know boxing at all. I am a real dummy when it comes to sports, period, except wrestling. But I hear, and I, I guess it makes sense, I don't know, he's all offense, no defense. That's the way that he's <laughs> being... Uh, yeah, like, you're, just, you're, just, you're just sensing that or feeling that? Yeah, yeah. Like his in his career, even to the to like in his boxing career, it's like he was all offense and hardly any defense, and it was the same. It's almost like I'm talking about hockey, but um, even in the past lifetimes. But it's because of the positions that he was put into in those past lifetimes. Like for example, as the gladiator, he had to fight for his life. He had no choice but to do it. And it was pretty much the same for the the two wars that I saw. He had no choice; he had to do it, and, and it was that's where the fiery rage comes in. So, but anyways, going back to my point. But now, you know, he's had enough of that, and he's starting to calm down now. And it's going to flip. It's going to be a more serene life. The, the next lifetime, it's going to be the opposite. Where actually, I, I'm hoping that I'm wrong on this because. It's almost like it's going to be all defense and no offense, and that you know that actually it doesn't surprise me too too much because I've seen it uh, countless times where when you go from one life to the next life and 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 you know see the trajectory, a spirit tries to gain a balance of whatever aspect, whether it's courage or um, whatever a, a certain trait. It wants to have that balance. It wants to have the courage, but then it also wants to have the lack of courage and and then strike a balance. So now Mr. Cooney is going to strike that balance by going to the other end of the spectrum. Um, with that being said, I, I don't think he's, like in the next li- lifetime, because he's already started that now, I don't think it's going to have as much of a negative impact on him in terms of, you know, not feeling fulfilled or anything like that. It's going to be more so, oh, thank God, finally, peace and quiet okay. kind of thing. Um, now, the um, the last thing I was shown were his animal guides, and it probably wouldn't surprise you too, too much. Um the first one, and not, and I will say this straight up for all our listeners, not too many people do have this, uh, even though everybody wants to have this totem, not everybody has this one totem. It's an eagle. He does have the eagle, and of course that's the universal symbol of freedom, and he is all about justice and freedom. That's who Mr. Cooney's all about. Um, that's what also fueled you know, the past lives too with the, with the two wars. It's all about freedom and justice. Um, but also the eagle also represents that courage, the risk taker, um, healing. He actually has, you know, uh, especially now in his later years, um, a very strong healing energy about him. So it wouldn't surprise me in the next lifetime, he's going to be more of the healer as opposed to, you know, the 
herder, <laughs> the, the fighter, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's, he's going to be so such a calm spirit. It'll be a complete 360. And, on, on an, sorry, go ahead. Uh, the other animal totem that I saw, another very popular and very powerful one was the wolf. And the wolf is all about perseverance, success, uh, intuition. And this is a very strong point that I also see surrounding Mr. Cooney is that of the protector of family, especially when it comes to women and children. So it wouldn't surprise me uh, if he um, would get involved if, you know, maybe in the past or in the future. I actually do see him, you know, maybe getting a little bit involved in the future. Something to do with, for example, child protective services or women's protective services, domestic violence, that kind of thing. Um, he's he's quite the advocate for that in uh, on the inside. I don't know if he's doing it outwardly, but I feel that he should. Miss Lisa Kaza, the clairvoyant cowgirl. Wow, was that uh, that was deep. That was pretty in depth and thorough. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza and to get a reading with Miss Lisa Kaza, please go to our website at Lisa. Kaza.com. Thank you so much, Ms. Kaza. Oh, as always, thanks again, Ryan. It's always such a pleasure. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guest, Mr. Jerry Cooney. Special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Laura Lynn, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Stellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love a sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy. Without all the extra drama. I even had a gift The deals are getting hotter during the dear days of summer. Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class six-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August 2nd, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeeredealer.com.